1: Father's
2: house. You see, God is our wall of enclosure. God is our bodyguard. God is our shield. And listen, no enemy, not even the diabolical forces of hell itself can penetrate the line of defense that God has set around us, that God has established to protect the believer's salvation. You see, God not only promises to save the repentant sinner, but also to keep him saved.
0: Salvation can be an easy first step. It's a simple prayer. It's saying the words and giving your heart to Jesus. But in reality, that's only one step. There's a lifetime of living in the salvation ahead of you. Pastor Michael tell you today that you're not alone as you navigate following Jesus. You have protection from on high. God is your shield, your comfort, and your guide. The enemy will try his best to pull you away, and some days it may feel like he's winning. Don't be afraid, though. God has already won the war. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of 1 Peter chapter 1 with today's edition of In My Father's House.
2: let's grab our Bibles. We'll pick up where we left off last time. This is a part of our series in 1 Peter. The title is A Living Hope. And in the progression of that series now, we move into 1 Peter chapter 1 in verse 5. And this message, the title is Kept by God. And what a wonderful thing it is to know that we are kept by God as his children, as members of his uh, church. So 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 5. And you who are kept by the power of God, that is the church, through faith, for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Now let's back up a little bit. Remember the last couple of times together, we've been talking about those treasures we as believers possess through the experience of the new birth, that is being born again of the Spirit of God. And we've been cataloging all of those wonderful blessings, that God has so abundantly provided for His children. Like, for example, we were told in one of our previous uh, services that we have been begotten again unto a living hope. What does that look like? What does that uh, mean? Well, listen, if you weren't here the last couple of times that we met together, those messages are catalogued and they're up on our website. Just go to harvestnyc.org and then you can listen to them at your uh, leisure. So that was one of these experiences, one of these treasures that God has made available to his uh, people. We've been gotten again into a living hope. And then also we've been told that we have been given an incorruptible inheritance. In one of our previous studies, we talked about what uh, that involves and what that uh, looks like. But now here in verse 5, Peter adds to that list and he speaks of, and this becomes our first point to write this down, the believer's security. And what is the believer's security? Well, notice Peter answers that question and tells us that we've been kept by the power of God. You see, that's the believer's security. We are kept by the power of God. And what a marvelous, marvelous statement this is. I mean, if there were no other announcements in all of the Bible to present this truth To us, this verse in and of itself would be sufficient to address this subject. You know, the word kept can literally be translated guarded or garrisoned. You know, the idea here is that our salvation is eternally guarded by a powerful heavenly militia composed of legions of angels. You see, God is our wall of enclosure. God is our bodyguard. God is our shield. And listen, no enemy, not even the diabolical forces of hell itself, can penetrate the line of the defense that God has set around us, that God has established to protect the believer's salvation. You see, God not only promises to save the repentant sinner, but also to keep him saved. Let me give you a cross-reference for this. In John's Gospel in chapter 10, verses 27 through 29. There, Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. And so the idea here is that we are sheltered in the hands of God. And I can't think of a better place to be. Game, that's our security. You know, think of it this way when we receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, we enter into, and this becomes our second point to write this down, a covenant relationship with the Lord. That's what we've entered into a transaction, this covenant relationship with God. And also, this transaction, this covenant, is forever sealed by the Holy Spirit. Let me give you a cross-reference for this. You know, Paul puts it this way when writing to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 1 and verses 13 and 14. He says, In Him, that is Jesus, you also trusted, you put your faith in Him, after you heard the word of truth, you responded to the gospel message, the gospel of your salvation, that's the way that's presented to us there in that verse, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee or the earnest of our inheritance until the purchase possession to the praise of His glory. Now, this transaction is actually a picture that's taken from a uh, commerce. You see, a merchant would travel to a certain destination, purchase goods to be transported back to where he would sell those goods. The goods were loaded into the hull of a transport ship. Wax would be melted and placed over the goods there in the hull. And then the merchant would then place a stamp of ownership in the wax. His special stamp, sort of like a signet. And that would identify the merchant's ownerships of those goods. Now, in the same way, the sealing by the Spirit of God signifies both ownership and completion. And then he takes up his abode in the believer as God's possession never to depart. You know, Jesus put it this way in the prayer that he was praying unto the Father concerning his sending the Spirit to dwell with his believers, his children. In John's Gospel in chapter 14 and verse 16. And concerning the Spirit of God, Jesus said, and when He comes, He shall abide with you forever. So, complete deliverance from sin and its power is made a present reality for the child of God. But let me tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that we'll never be tempted to sin ever again. And It doesn't imply that we will be sinless going forward. But what it does mean is that we will receive help from God when we are tempted help not to sin. And so this covenant is established and protected by God himself. Let me give you another cross-reference for this. In the 89th Psalm, in verse 34, there we are told, my covenant I will not break nor alter the word that has gone out of my lips. And so that's God speaking to uh, his church. Okay, so it's God who begins a work of grace in our hearts, and you can be sure that he will continue that work. You know, Paul put it this way, right into the church at Philippi, Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6. He says, being confident of this very thing, he which both begun a good work in you. Okay, so God has begun a good work in all of us. There never comes a point in time unless we turn our back upon him, you know, where he just walks away, blows us off, writes us off. No, we are told that he that hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ, that is in the coming of Jesus Christ. Now, let me give you another cross-reference. This one is taken from 1 John in chapter 5 and verses 11 through 13, and I think that this validates this point quite well. There John, the beloved, writes, "And this is the testimony that God has given us, eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He who has the Son is life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Now these things I have written to you, who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know, not maybe, but rather that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. And so listen, the Bible speaks authoritatively on this subject. There is no room for question or uncertainty. God is faithful. God is trustworthy. He's not like men. He's not like the inventions of men. You know, thinking about, as an example of this, thinking about one of the greatest so called inventions of mankind was the ship Titanic. And in April 15, 1912, the mighty Titanic went to a watery grave after colliding with an iceberg. 1,600 miles from New York's harbor, she carried 1,500 people to their death in water that was two miles deep. You know, it was said that when the Titanic left its English port, someone had scribbled on its hull, and I quote, God Almighty, couldn't sink this ship. The idea there was that it was known as unsinkable. But we know how that worked out. You see, what man makes must break down. It must perish. Why? Because it's not eternal. There is little security in that which comes from the hands of man. But that's not true with God. How wonderfully certain is our security in Jesus Christ, our Savior even though waves of doubt beat against us, and thousands of icebergs, if I can use that analogy, or obstacles, infest our course through our life's experience, true believers never sink. You know, Paul, in the book of Romans, in chapter 8, in verse 35, expressed it this way, who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? What's the answer to that question? Absolutely nothing. Listen gang, no force is strong enough to ever sever the Christian from God's love. And so there should be no fear of losing our salvation, that is, if we are in Christ. I know that I am eternally secure. You can be know that you are eternally secure, that is, if you are in Christ. Just make sure that you are in Christ. And if you are, you're eternally secure in Him. Remember, Jesus dealt with that whole subject in the Gospel of John in chapter 15, where there He pitches us as the branch and He as the vine. And as long as we as the branch are stuck into the vine, we have secured our eternal life. Remember, we are garrisoned by the power of God. Well, Peter goes on now, this verse of scripture is so deep, it's so great, it's so rich in wisdom and in lessons for us. So Peter goes on now in verse 5 and states, notice, that God's keeping power is, and this becomes our third point, through faith unto salvation. Now, what was Peter suggesting here? What does that mean? Does it mean that our keeping saved depends upon our regular and consistent exercise of faith? Well, if that be the case, we're all in trouble now. No, I believe Peter is referring to our present condition rather than our future state. Our future state has already been determined. You know, think about it this way. During this pilgrimage of ours, we are to walk by faith and not by sight. Paul tells us that in 2 Corinthians in chapter 5, and verse 7. But the day is coming when we stand before Jesus, where we meet Jesus face to face. And in that day, we will no longer have to walk by faith, but rather by sight. And all of the questions, all of the fears, all of the struggles will be gone forever. We won't be going back and forth. Am I saved? Am I not saved? Am I going to heaven? Am I not going to heaven? Why? Because when we stand before Jesus and look into his face, we'll know that we've arrived. We made it. Guess what? We are in heaven. But for right now, we must live by faith, trusting God for all things. You know, I like what C.H. Spurgeon said on this subject, describing faith for us. He says, faith is reason at rest in God. So listen, if we are to live with the joy of the Lord And listen, i got to tell you something. There are so many believers who don't even know anything about the joy of the Lord, just resting in the joy of the Lord. They know that they've secured their eternal destiny. So if we are to live with the joy of the Lord in our hearts, even our reason must be surrendered to God. And then and only then will doubt and our problems disappear. So let me ask you this question. Do you have the assurance in your heart that you belong to God. And if not, why not? Listen, take him at his word. Believe and receive his truth. It's all about Jesus. Remember, we are told there in 1 John, as a cross-reference I gave it for you just a while ago, he that has the Son has life. So God promises to keep us, notice, go back to verse 5, unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So this refers to the future tense of our salvation. Now this brings us to our fourth and our final point, and that is, the Bible presents salvation in three tenses, past, present, and future. Okay, let me go through those uh, quickly for you. First of all, the past. In other words, we were delivered from the penalty of sin when we received Christ. That's called our justification. We were justified before God upon our conversion experience. So that's been our past experience. And then the present experience. We are being delivered daily from the power of sin through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. What's that called? It's called our sanctification, the work of God's Holy Spirit within our lives. And then the final tense of our salvation is future. We shall be delivered that is, from the presence of sin, all together one day. And boy, are we looking forward to that. Can you, uh, this is something we can't even relate to. No longer will we be attempted to sin, right? We'll just be one with God. What a day that's going to be. We look forward to that day. And that's referred to as our glorification. The future tense is ready, but not yet revealed. It'll happen when Christ returns. But until then... As James puts it, writing to us through his epistle, James chapter 5 and verse 8, he says, be patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. What a rich verse of scripture here in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 5. Some wonderful lessons for us to learn. We now move into 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. So verses 6 through 9, I'm going to break it up into two parts, verses 6 and 7. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while it need be you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revealing or the revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay, let's back up a little bit. As a reminder, Peter Here in this section of 1 Peter, chapter 1, is writing to the Christian church, who at this time is experiencing great persecution on two different fronts. First of all, from the Roman state, who used Christians as scapegoats for just about everything, including the burning of the city of Rome. And then also you have them being persecuted from their fellow Jews who thought that to embrace Christ as their Savior was blasphemous, all of which the result was that they were being killed, that they were being tortured, that their property had been confiscated. And so Peter is writing to remind them to keep their focus on God, remaining faithful to Him, placing their trust, their absolute trust in Him. And notice there in verse 7, Peter goes as far as to declare, Rejoice! Rejoice in those trials, Peter? Rejoice in the persecutions? Well, let me clear up any misconception you might have about what Peter is exhorting them to do. He's encouraging them to rejoice, not because of the trials, that would be absolutely ridiculous, the hardships that we go through, but rather because God can sustain us in those trials through those persecutions. But then also he goes on, notice, and reminds them that there is a purpose in those trials. And what is those methods? What is the purpose? Well, God uses them to purify our faith in Christ. It molds and shapes our character. Go back to verse 7. That the genuineness of our faith, being much more precious than gold, that perishes though it be tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know, let me give you an example of this from uh, the manufacturing of automobiles. And I don't know, I hope that this is a good example and illustration. Before the automobiles, after they come off of the assembly uh, line, they're tested under stressful conditions before they are sold at the dealership, right? And the reason being is that they are tested under those stressful conditions to improve their safety features, their functionality, their maneuverability. But if you think about that, that's also true in our Christian experience. We are also tested by God, oftentimes under stressful uh, conditions. And the testings of God are not designed to destroy us or discourage us, but rather to prove our worth. I mean, think about it. If we have never tried, if we have never tested, we wouldn't know how strong our faith is or whether or not we really need to uh, work on it. So they are given to us in controlled circumstances that our systems of thinking and acting might be linked to our Creator. That is, so that He might refine us, that He might provide for us those different skills. So anyway, tested by fire. And then notice also Peter goes on to declare verses 8 and 9, and this is the second part of our message, Whom having not seen, referring to Jesus, you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy, inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Okay, now think about this. God has given to each one of us certain senses. And psychologists tell us that there are five. What are they? Well, the uh, sense of hearing, sight, smell, taste, and touch. These wonderful capacities that God has given to each and every one of us to help us to enjoy and relate to the world around us. However, I believe that every born-again believer possesses a sixth sense. That is the God-given
1: sense of faith. In my Father's house There's a place for me In my Father's house Where I long to be
0: oh, my. As we study the book of First Peter together, we pray it has both encouraged and challenged you to grow in your faith. The Apostle Peter understands that standing firm in your faith isn't all so easy, but the reward is great. Learn from him today and practice self-discipline and trust the Lord to help you through. You've been listening to In My Father's House, and we're so glad you tuned in to hear today's teaching with Pastor Mike. To listen to today's message again, or to hear more from Pastor Mike, Just search for In My Father's House with Mike Venizio on your favorite podcast platform. And be sure to subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram to keep up to date on our day-to-day happenings. If you're looking for a place in Midtown Manhattan to come together with others and worship Jesus, we'd love to have you join us this Sunday for worship at Harvest Christian Fellowship you'll be able to reserve your seat and get directions to our easy access point at harvestnyc.org. We're also streaming each Sunday and Thursday evening service. So everyone has the chance to attend, even if you can't make it in person. If this broadcast has been an encouragement to you, would you consider supporting us? We'd love your prayerful support. And if you feel led, we're also thankful for any financial support. In fact, you can donate securely on our website, HarvestNYC.org. Again, that was HarvestNYC.org. Thanks for your support, and thanks for listening in today. Join us again next time for more with Pastor Mike, right here on In My Father's House. Where I
1: love to be, oh, my heart not be troubled.